Someone asked me uh, yesterday, um, so what's the sermon about tomorrow? And I, had to, uh, I said, well, it's on prayer of repentance, and uh, I said, we've been working through Isaiah, and it's taken us uh, two, covering parts of, of two years, and we're almost there. We're almost through Isaiah. Um, it has been really interesting for me. This is probably the first time that I've purposely moved through Isaiah in this kind of way. Um, and just seeing the themes, seeing the structure, seeing uh, the way that um, especially uh, God's kingdom is being um, explained or, or the, the vision that the prophet has uh, for the, this, this grand kingdom has just been uh, amazing as we've been studying this together. We are kind of drawing towards a close. We're in the last, uh, kind of the third section of Isaiah here, 56 to 66. Um, we talked several weeks ago about the base level, the beginning and the end of this part, which is about all nations being invited to join in God's covenant family, that this story is being spread out to everyone. This is good news for everyone. Uh, Jesus as uh, the Jewish Messiah turns out is not good news just for the Jewish people. This is good news for everyone. And the prophet back in Old Testament times, back uh, in it, at the end of the exile, um, understands that God's grand scheme, God's grand plan, is that everyone be welcomed and invited in. The next level after that uh, was a contrast between the wicked and the servants. The servants were those whose uh, faith influenced their practice, who who um, had a, a heart for what God was doing, who were coming in genuine humility, uh, confessing, and allowing their worship and their faith to drive the way they interacted with folks around them. Um, there's another group of folks that, that the prophet calls the wicked, who, uh, you know, uh, on the outward sign are, are kind of showing up at the right place at the right time, doing all the right kinds of things, but they're not, it's not impacting their heart, it's not impacting their life, it's not impacting their practice. And, and this is what uh, Yahweh, uh, God, and the prophet um, are kind of upset about. Whoops. It's all right, it's got a lid on it. Um, it turns out in this section that the servants are, are the ones that look like the one true suffering servant, which, you know, as we kind of step back and have kind of the, the full narrative of Scripture, we can see that that's Jesus and that we are to uh, look like, model uh, the example of G that Jesus lived for us. And so this week we're at kind of the next level and it is a, a prayer of repentance of the faithful. We're going to look at how uh, those who are kind of heeding the call of God um, who understand that not everything is right in the world around them, and if they're honest, it, everything is not right in themselves and with the people around them. And, uh, and we're going to look at their response. And so this is a, a prayer of repentance from the faithful. As we look at that this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, it's good to be here, and it is good to be worshiping you. Um, 
even in the midst of maybe what's a, 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 tough, uh, a tough topic to talk about confession and repentance, and these are terms that are, you know, becoming foreign to us. So as we look at what the prophet Isaiah says, as we look at how, what it looks like for people to, to turn and to walk back in line with you, I pray that uh, the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. There, there are some words in uh, this section of Scripture uh, that maybe are a little bit foreign to us, very um, Old Testament-sounding words, uh, iniquity and, uh, you know, confession and repentance. Those are words maybe we often use in the church. Um, I was trying to think, do I hear the word confession in the world around us? And really the only time you hear about confession is related to like a court case and somebody confesses to a crime or they don't confess to a crime or, you know, it's always in that kind of context. Um, Repentance, I got to be honest, I'm not really sure where I hear that word outside of the church and what that means, Um, kind of an about face and turning back and coming back into uh, alignment with what God wants for our life, back in line with with God's plan. And so I I recognize these are some um, maybe different, difficult words for us this morning. These two sections begin with chapter 59 of Isaiah, and it comes following a description of how the servants live out their faithfulness. At the end of chapter 58, we we heard these words, if you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, Sabbath for the Jewish people was Saturday, If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, which is recognizing that Sabbath is a day to set people free, not pursue our own selfish gain. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All right, and so we're starting to see how these servants are going to respond. And in chapter 59, verse 1, it says this, See, the Lord's hand is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. What the prophet is kind of helping us understand is that Yahweh, God, is fully capable of hearing his people, of responding and saving them. The next verse says, rather your iniquities, talking about the people, have been barriers between you and God. You ever recognize how often in our lives we kind of put up barriers between us and God? Um, it can come in a, a lot of different ways. Um, we just get too busy doing other stuff and, and, and not taking time to, to, to uh, as we've been talking about in Sunday school, learn Jesus and, and listen to the Holy Spirit, not taking that, that time to um, kind of reorient ourselves uh, to Jesus. So there's lots of ways that we put up barriers. And what's happening uh, for the prophet and the people that are surrounding him is that there are some 
that are continually living in opposition to the way of Yahweh. They're constructing barriers between themselves and God. We talked last week about how God is continually pursuing God's people. He's trying to find ways to be restored. He's looking for opportunities to reconnect with them. But what he's finding, what the prophet is realizing, is that there's some folks that are just continually like turning away and, and maybe they're saying the right things. They're showing up and kind of going through the motions in the, the right way. Uh, but they're really not reorienting themselves back towards what God is asking them to do. Some keep putting up walls. And so I wonder in my own life, in our life together, what are some of those walls that we keep constructing between us and God? What we see here in Scripture is um, hands that are defiled with blood, fingers with iniquity, lips have spoken lies, Tongues have muttered wickedness, and later on in the passage in 59, uh, feet that run to evil. The prophet's saying, look, our, our, uh, our whole body is involved in this. He's showing how pervasive uh, this disease is, that it's impacted all of who the people are. And, and the prophet is really talking in terms of the, the people of God, right? He, he's talking about uh, the people of Israel and, and the ways that they have kind of built up these walls, build up these barriers between themselves and God. He says that no one deals with the law honestly. The wicked are compared to snakes and spiders, which is not a good thing. Works of iniquity, deeds of violence, shedding innocent blood, thoughts of iniquity, uh, desolation and destruction are their highways. Some very Old Testament, very um, uh, destructive uh, words, terms that are used here. Uh, the prophet is talking just about how this has shaped their society. Something interesting happens then in Chapter 59, verse 9, the prophet has been talking about them and their, and, and, and their wickedness and, and their failure to turn and their feet running and, and their deeds of iniquity, and, and he's using their, them language. But something happens then in verse 9, this transition from, now correct me if I'm wrong, Kathy, uh, English is not my uh, forte uh, as far as dissecting terms and everything. You go from third person plural to first person plural. It goes from they, there to we, us. The they, there of those who are failing to live out the ways of God are impacting everyone. It's impacting the we and the us. You know, sometimes we have or we want to have this idea that sin is only personal and, and your sin is your sin and that's what you deal with and my sin is my sin and, and you know, your sin doesn't impact me and my sin doesn't impact you. But that's not really what's happening uh, pretty often in Scripture. The, the sins of some are impacting everyone. Your right or wrong action is not just your right or wrong action, but repeatedly throughout Scripture, we're seeing and certainly here the social dimensions of sin. 
So the fact that some are failing to practice justice means that as a whole, these people of God are missing out on experience the whole of what justice looks like. They're missing out on the whole of what peace looks like because they've got some folks in their midst who are failing to confess and repent and walk back in line with God. And it's impacting their whole life together. And in 59, verse 15, the, the second part of that, Yahweh sees that no one is stepping up to intervene, and so God decides that He will need to step in Himself. God will redeem and save those who repent and turn from these wrong ways of living. And we need to say something about the context, the, the people that uh, the prophet is writing to. These are words spoken to the people of God. Here, the prophet is not addressing the moral failures of Babylon or Persia and expecting them to follow Yahweh's commands. There are other places where that happens. There's other critiques of the, the Babylon and Persia and the society around them. But the prophet here is talking to the people of God. He's talking to people that should know better. He's talking to people that, at least with their mouth, are saying, we're here to worship you, we're here to fast, we're here to to do all the right things. This is who the prophet is talking to. This is about people who should know the Torah and are failing to follow through and turning away from God. So maybe we tend to look at society, if you've read through chapter 59 and chapter 63 through 64 of Isaiah, if you didn't read through that before this morning, that's your assignment for this afternoon, chapter 53, uh, check that, 59, 59, chapter 59, and 63 through 64. We tend to look at these words and we might look at the society around us and equate it with these words. All of the iniquity, all of the violence, all of the injustice, all of the, the negative things that are associated in this passage, we may look around at the world around us and say, this is about that. There might be other places in Scripture where the society around the people of God is being critiqued, but here it is the people of God that the prophet is addressing. There are plenty of ways in which our society does mirror this language, but this passage isn't about that or expecting pagans to act as if they're not pagan. We sometimes expect Christian behavior out of folks who don't recognize the lordship of Christ. Now, does that mean evil and unjust actions are okay? No. But the way of influencing culture isn't really about force as it is embodying a different way of being. Alternative possibilities and, and a word a term that we've been using a little bit over the summer, questionable living. Means to live in a way that shows something different, that demonstrates a different way of walking in line with who God is. The church is meant to be a people living out the lordship of Christ who embody alternative possibilities. 
The church is meant to be a people that are oriented around Jesus. And the way we live, the way we act, the way we treat one another, the way we interact with the world around us should be different. And so if there is a modern application from this passage, and I think there is, if there is a modern application, it might be for the church to look at the way the church is living and either reflecting Jesus or being honest that we're not. Are we showing alternative possibilities of living in tune with Jesus? Are we caring for the poor? Are we serving the marginalized? Are we living out and sharing the good news of the reign of Christ? Or do we pretty much look and act like everyone else just with a religious veneer? Or worse, we pretend God is on our side to bless our agenda. Chapter 63 recites Israel's history. It reminds the people, it reminds us of the ways that God has acted in their past. And it's a petition for Yahweh to rescue again. It's a reminder of Egypt. It's a reminder of the ways that that God has stepped in and saved and rescued over uh, Israel's history. And it's a request, a, a pleading with God, please come and do it again. And, and I think that's a, a plea for us. God, you've done this in the past. God, please come and do it again. And then what happens then in chapter 64, which is the, the scripture that was read for us this morning. You can hear the prophet pleading, almost begging. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. So that the mountains would quake at your presence. It's a pleading with Yahweh to reveal his power. God, show us again who you are. Show us again what you're capable of doing. The prophet says, we remember what you have done in the past for those who have repented and come back to you. But, and the prophet's honest, in my words he's saying, but we've screwed up. We recognize that we've walked away. We recognize that we've really messed things up. Verses six through seven. It says, we have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds, all the things that we've done on the outside, all the attempts are like filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf in our iniquities. There's that word again. Our uncleanness. The, uh, that that's, has particular um, impact with, with the Jewish people where everything needed to be very clean and uh, for, for the temple. Everything needed to be purified uh, and there were rituals and procedures to go through to make everything clean. And what the prophet is saying is, look, we've screwed up and, and we admit that we are not clean. We are not pure. We are not the way we are meant to be. 
Our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of iniquity. But listen to verse 8. Yet, O Lord, yet Yahweh, you are our Father. We recognize that not everything is right. We recognize how many times we've walked away from you. We recognize that we are not living the way you've called us to live, yet you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. What the prophet's saying is mold us, shape us into the sort of people you long for us to be. And then verse 9, do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. A lot of times folks uh, in, in the ancient world, you know, they dealt with God's anger a lot. And, and there's times where God is angry about the way things are going, he, he upset that, that folks are continually building these walls, continually living in ways that are in, unjust towards one another, uh, continually living in these uh, patterns of uh, iniquity. He says, oh Lord, do not remember iniquity forever. And then the prophet reminds Yahweh of the effects of exile, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, the scattering of the people. And the prophet asks if God will continue to hold back and keep silent. He's wondering. And so I think the application for us, for the people of God, the people that are trying to orient themselves around who God is, around who Jesus has showed God to be, I think the lesson, at least for me, is that confession should mark the church. Author Donald Miller shares a story in his book, Blue Like Jazz, about being at um, a university that had a, a reputation for v being very open about substance use, especially in the days following finals. And, and there was, you know, finals ended and there's kind of like this massive rave on campus, um, lots of substance use, and it was a, a place for being no, known to be um, hostile towards faith. And so in the days following finals, Miller went with a friend to set up a confession booth alongside the parties taking place on campus. And folks saw the, the confession booth and... Uh, Many decided, yeah, we're going to play along with the religious guy. And they went in and their uh, intention was to shock and awe the, the pastor or the priest or whoever was in the confession booth. We're going to tell him exactly what we've been doing this weekend and see his face. See how embarrassed he is because we've been doing some stuff, right? So these folks would go into the confession booth intending to shock the person inside and Donald Miller was inside. And he said, I'm not here to hear your confession. Instead, I'm here for you to hear my confession. 
and the confession of the church. And what he did there was, with folks, he would confess that the church doesn't get it right all the time, that we've not always looked like Jesus. We've not always lived out the faith that we profess. And it flipped the conversation. It changed things around. Rather than expected condemnation from someone hearing confessions, folks who had nothing to do with Jesus were asked to forgive the shortcomings and failures of the church. Now look, there's been lots of studies done in recent years from multiple groups that the church, big church, right, doesn't exactly have a shining reputation in our society. Multiple sexual scandals, abuse of power, folks who have observed the church as backing political agendas without caring for those actually impacted by those agendas has taken its toll on the church. And maybe we're tempted to think, well, that's not me, or that's not our church. We're different, and I hope we are. Or maybe we think, well, those folks aren't really followers of Jesus. But sometimes in our largest, larger society, folks don't differentiate between Spring Creek Church of the Brethren and any other group of followers, Christians. And it impacts the way folks interact with the church and with Jesus unless we begin to tell a different story. And so sometimes we want people that are outside the church, we want them to confess and repent. And like I said, confession and repentance aren't really words in their vocabulary. I think those words are largely out of people's vocabulary. And so if we want folks to confess and repent, because I think that's a a helpful, healthful uh, response to to what Jesus is doing, where we uh, admit that we don't have it all together and we're coming in alignment with Jesus, we're recognizing Him as, as Lord and Savior, I think confession and repentance is actually a a, a biblical response to the good news. But if we want folks to confess and repent or turn and follow Jesus, then the church should show the way by confessing ourselves. We need to confess the wrongs that we have knowingly done, the the times that we know that we haven't looked like Jesus. That might be personal confession. That that might be confessing for a larger group. We need to confess the wrongs that we've unknowingly done, the the ways that maybe we've uh, ignored and, and tuned out the hurting and the disenfranchised and the marginalized people around us. And maybe sometimes we need to confess when we have been guilty by association. That's really hard. 
Because sometimes you see other groups of Christians and, and you see the way they act and you think that doesn't look anything like Jesus. We're trying to live differently. But sometimes you might be with folks who, you know, all Christians are the same. We've got to walk with people. We have to, you know, be confessional. We need to um, show who Jesus is. Uh, <clears throat> and that's a hard place for us to be. This morning, I want to give us some time for confession. Both as a church and as a group of Christ followers, I also want to give opportunity for confession and repentance for our own personal missteps and, and the way we as individuals haven't aligned ourselves with Jesus. So this morning, we're going to be uh, singing um, the chorus, uh, Change My Heart, O God. And I invite your own personal uh, confession, maybe your, your, your reflection on, on the ways that uh, the church, whether that's Spring Creek, whether that's uh, the bigger uh, church, hasn't aligned ourselves with Jesus. But I'm also going to be up front here that if you feel like you need to uh, confess and repent um, for your own stuff, whatever that stuff is, I want to be up here uh, to pray with you to... Um, to just lift you up uh, before Yahweh because um, like the prophet prays, uh, God is not always angry with us. God is looking for ways to love us, to restore us, to come back around us. And, and, and sometimes we need to hear that from someone else. We need to uh, be uh, reassured that that is God's orientation towards us, that He is loving, that He is uh, welcoming us back, that God is there uh, to, to pick us up when things have gone wrong. And so I'm going to invite you to stand and turn in your brown hymnal to number 654.